This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. One innovative spark can trigger sweeping changes across an industry. But disruption is about more than just a quick idea. In today's world, authentic disruptors transform their ideas into groundbreaking engines of innovation. Explore insights from the leading marketing experts behind some of the most epic brands in the world. Welcome to Marketing Trends, a podcast created by Mission.org, sponsored by the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron. As always, you can probably tell I'm excited again because I open up my calendar. I see who's in the studio. And this time, we've got an absolute baller. I mean, you can Google this woman. You'll see what I mean. But before you Google her, let me just give you a little a little snippet. And I want to save some of it for the conversation. I don't want to give the, the, whole trans, the whole resume. It's impressive and I would like to give it. But let's start with just this. I'm here with Stacy Epstein. Stacy is the chief marketing officer of Freshworks. And in addition to that, we're talking about global CMO of the year in the past, top 50 women in SaaS in the past. She's an acclaimed marketing leader. She's taken not one, but two companies through exits. So you're talking to someone who understands growth, capital G, understands leadership, and understands how to build high-performing teams. Stacy, welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm so stoked to have you. Thank you, Jeremy. That was a very nice introduction. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Look, you've 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 just it's impressive to see the things you've done. When I have a chance to connect with someone like you, my brain goes to, okay, she's done a whole bunch of stuff. She has she has perspective. She has experience. Now we're in 2023 where literally it seems like every minute this whole thing changes. The whole world's changing. I want to ask you off the top, just how are you staying relevant as the chief marketing leader in this fast moving world? You have all these accolades. You're leading the helm at Freshworks marketing wise. What keeps you up to date? What keeps it fresh for you? Because again, you have a lot of the stuff that you've done. You have a lot more that you're doing, but what keeps you at the top of the game right now? Yeah, certainly top of mind. And it's definitely does seem like it's evolving even more quickly. I was a joking with a friend of mine. I mean, I saw the internet come in, if you can believe it, I was doing marketing when the internet came on the scene. Um, we were joking about how back in the early days at Success Factors, uh, it was basically Google paid search, email marketing and events. And like, that was it. And now, you know, there's ABM and there's PLG and there's, um, AI. And it, it does seem like marketing has really evolved into uh, what is the latest technology that I could leverage to get to my customer base. Um, I think for me, being staying centered around the buyer and ultimately at the end of the day, really understanding what is the buyer, who is the buyer, what do they need, and really figuring out how to craft a compelling value proposition that centers around their needs and then just getting it to them. And 
you know, all of the technology is either so that you can create the campaign or the messaging, or it's the avenue to get it to them. And you could categorize anything as that, right? Like ABM is the avenue to get it to them. AI is often the avenue to creating it. And so if you can sort of bucket it into those categories, are you doing a really great job of of crafting your value proposition and speaking in their terms? And then how are you figuring out where they are so that you can get that message to them? And you can center around that. And then I think, you know, you can kind of stay more up on all of these changes that are happening. What is something that you wish more people understood about your job as CMO? I don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't think I spend a lot of time wishing I was better understood, to be honest. Okay, okay, um, okay. I do think back to my former comment, people get really wrapped up in what am I selling? What am I selling? What am I marketing? What are my features? What do my features do? And they lose sight of what does what I am offering mean to my customer. And that's the most important part of marketing. And that's, again, I don't spend my time thinking, why don't people understand that? I do spend my time working with my team on staying centered around that. Is that it doesn't matter how many great features we have. It matters how valuable those are to the customer. And if we can center around that, that, that I think is where marketing tends to get lost is like, and it does this, and it does that, and mm. it does this, and it does that. And Feature selling just doesn't work in our world today. So on that note, how do you like how do you approach the balance between like maintaining brand consistency and then allowing for these innovative kind of out of the box marketing ideas? Yeah, well, I think if you do value proposition and, you know, your core messaging slash positioning strategy, if you do it right, then you are very genuine to who you are as a company and as an offering. And that shouldn't just change with whatever whatever trend there is, right? I mean, we in a very quickly, in a very short period of time went from like bull market, everybody's buying things, COVID, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Everybody's at home. Wait, wow, we're actually still in a bull market. People are buying things. Suddenly the macro changes and and it just completely flips and everybody's looking at ways to to reduce their tech stack. And so we all hurried to like, how do we operate in that environment? And then out of nowhere came, you know, chat GPT and AI and like, oh, no, we've got to make sure we're telling everybody how much AI we do. Like that all happened over the course of like a four year period of time, which is very short. Mm -hmm. And I think. Again, if you're very centered and grounded on who you are, what is your value proposition to your buyer, the environment for the buyer changes and you have to understand that and you have to evolve your positioning and your messaging and your value proposition to the times, but it shouldn't inherently change just because, you know, just because the macro is different doesn't mean suddenly I have a different value proposition. I'm just talking about it in a different way because I've understood that it's changed for my buyer as well. Mm. I want to double click into kind of leadership as well, because you, you look, you've been a CEO, you've been a CMO, you've taken multiple companies from, you know, the, the lowest heights to the highest heights. That's continues to happen in your career. Would it be safe to say that your leadership style has evolved over the, over your career? Are there things like there's, is there a through line of how you like to lead 
uh, that was back then and even today? Yeah, I mean, I I hope I've evolved. Um, You know, it would be sad if I just stayed stagnant. I think we all learn and continue to evolve. Um, You know, I sort of over the course of my career have gone from earlier stage to later stage public scale. Um, You know, my I've been at companies with 30 people in total. And now I have a team of 320 people just in marketing. Um, And I, but I think most of my core leadership principles are the same. Um, I'm a talent first leader. I believe that people are behind everything that gets done in a company. And, um, you know, as much as I talked about empathy and understanding a customer and where they are, I think the same is true for employees. And the more you can have empathy for what your employees are tasked with and their viewpoint of the world, the more you can make sure you're bringing all of the different parts together and helping them succeed. Um, I think empathy can often be construed as like a, a flowery, nice word, and it doesn't have to be that. It is that for me, I mean, I was an athlete in college. I'm still an athlete or I try to be. Um, and, um, you know, there's a, there's a performance, like we're here to win element to my leadership style too. Like I want to win and, but I want to win by really understanding my talent picture, right? Do I have the best athletes in each of the roles are they in a position to be successful? And then how does everybody come together as a team so that we can win? So it's kind of a composite combination of empathy and focus on individuals and then teamwork and a performance-driven culture. How do you manage conflicts or differing opinions within your team? Uh, very, very directly. Um, uh, that is another thing about I have a very direct and transparent leadership style Um, and, uh, you know, it's not always easy and sometimes it's uncomfortable and for some more than others, but even if there's conflict, you know, if I have conflict with a peer or with my boss, um, I would rather just talk about it and, you know, try to do it with as little emotion as possible, but getting it on the table just always seems to be the easier path. If I have two people that have conflict on my team, I, encourage them to talk about it. Like nine times out of 10, when someone comes to me with conflict, my first question is, did you talk to them about it? Did you talk to them about it? What did they say when you talked to them about it? And every once in a while, it doesn't get fixed that way. And they need to come to me to like referee or be a therapist. But for the most part, when people just address it head on and take the emotion, take the ego, take the taking it personal out of the way, most things can be resolved. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I was curious about that. I mean, you said something in an interview, and I love this, and I want to I want to tie this into potentially maybe your connection to, to athletics. Did you play soccer in Atlanta? Yeah, I did. I okay, did okay. at Emory, and, yeah. And you were a goalie? I was. Okay. So I want to know how that interest of yours has maybe unexpectedly influenced your approach to marketing 
And then the, to kind of tie into that, it may be related, maybe not. You said something about not focusing on obstacles, which I love that. You're like, you said, you know, mountain biking, you don't look at, you know, your mountain climbing, you don't look at the, if you look at the thing, you're going to hit the thing. We're going to fall off the cliff. Yeah. And so, yeah. but it's interesting to hear a CMO say that, you know, because yeah. I could, th you can look at obstacles in a lot of different ways. So is there a connection between the athletics and influencing marketing surprises there? And then the obstacle piece I, I want to learn about. Yeah, um, maybe a little bit. I I don't know that I'd ever thought about that correlation, but yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, I once wrote an article back in the day about how being a goalkeeper taught me everything I needed to know to be successful in business. And I think it's still true. Um, I already talked about the teamwork aspect, the coaching aspect. I think um, also as a goalkeeper, you are, you are, one of only two people, you and the other goalkeeper that can see the whole field, almost the entire. And that gives you the, you know, some goalkeepers are just, they think their role is just to be there to save goals. But the truth is, if you see the opportunity as a, someone who can see everything that's going on and you can direct and you can lead, and you're not only getting yourself ready, you're, you know, I can see something that maybe my outside back can't see. And I'm, I can relay that. Right. So that's like that vision of what's happening and what's developing that you can communicate. I think also as, as a woman in a very male dominated industry, it's better now, but you know, I, I mean, I've been doing this for over 30 years and, uh, it's in the early days, it was, it was not easy. Um, the one thing about being a goalie is, at the very beginning of the game, I always would take an opportunity to show the other team that I meant business and that if they were going to come like inside the 18, those of you that know soccer inside the 18 yard line, right. Um, is, is that's my house. And if you want to come into my house, you're going to have to deal with me. And, um, and you do that by like going really hard at the first ball that comes in and, and just like, and sometimes even, you know, big games, you have nerves and, and it would help me too to like, just go hard in the beginning. And I, when I got into business as a young, like early twenties female and a very, you know, I was working at Oracle, it was like shark tank. Um, I found that if I would speak up early in a meeting with conviction and, you know, sort of establish credibility, establish that I wasn't going to be meek, that I had an opinion and, you know, kind of that I meant business. It sort of set the stage that I, I was there to, you know, play a role and have an impact. And so things like that, that are little nuances that I, I sort of learned, but also carried with me in my career. Your comment about obstacles is, you know, slightly different. It's a very, it's maybe related, but it's also somewhat related to be, to being female is that, um, you know, you always get asked, well, how did you do it? How did you rise through all those obstacles? And what do you do about the pay wage gap? And, and I've just always had this, this viewpoint that certainly I, have strategies, you know, when it comes to the pay wage gap, I learned how to be a better negotiator, right? So, you know, there's, there's things that you can do to take ownership of maybe challenges, but I always just focused on opportunities. I felt like I 
I wanted to look at where I was going. I wanted to skate to where the puck might go versus spend my time going, oh, but there's so many obstacles. I'm never going to get there. Like, again, you you mentioned it, but when you're mountain biking, you don't want to look at the boulder on your side because you will turn your bike and hit it. Like that is just how it works. Um, You want to look at the road ahead. That's where your eyes go. And that's how you get there. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I, I I never been a goalie, but as you described that, I'm imagining you know myself seeing you on the field, be, you know, really you know pressure testing the opposing team of like this is my house, and if you come here, like there will be yeah. an ex- you'll have an experience. Yeah. And I love I, so 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 much of that is relatable, and I love the example of you speaking up. Yeah. And first in the meeting, I think that's that's beautiful. Um, I want to talk about your relationship with growth, you know, and the velocity of growth. Like, look, you, we know you've taken some iconic SaaS brands. You've got, you know, Success Factors and ServiceMax. You joined Success Factors at 10 million in ARR. You led that marketing function through triple digit growth, right? Six years, IPO in 2007. Then you went over to, you know, to ServiceMax and think there were less than a million ARR. And then through that six years of triple digit growth, then they got acquired by GE for a, a cool billion. Now you're here. I mean, you know, Freshworks is, you know, they already IPO, it's exploding. But just what is it like to to have that? I mean, is it kind of like because you've you've kind of, you know, you've you've touched you've touched the top on many things. You know what it's like to grow really rapidly and explode. But what does that do for your relationship with it? Like, do you do you feel like you could go faster? We could go faster. We are, you know, what's that balance like? Because you have this experience with with a lot of growth. But how do you? What's the relationship with growth now? And what does that mean for your experience? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I had a really interesting experience um, as as a CEO. And, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of the highlights of my career as a CMO. And I, I left ServiceMax to go be a CEO. And um, it was a, you know, relatively small company um, about the size that ServiceMax was when I joined ServiceMax. Um, and had been in business a bit, had a great product, but didn't really have the right GTM strategy to be successful. And so I came in and took over the company and I was just like, let's go, like, let's grow triple digit growth. This is what Mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it didn't come. And, uh, I had a lot of like late night fretting stress (laughs) sessions in my own head of like, huh? Like I thought I, I thought this is what I did. I thought that I just, that this, that I just knew how to do it and that it would come. And, um, you know, it was a, a very humbling experience, but it also taught me a lot. Like those, those years of zinc were really, really big growth years for me of, we just didn't have product market fit. And, um, you know, now I'm, I'm at a stage where I'm like, yeah, I only will go to a company that already has product market <laughs> fit. Right. Um, and I think I was just naive. I was like, no, 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 I create product market fit, you know, and, and, and eventually we did, but we had to do a, just a massive pivot, um, at a time when we were small and, you know, dealing with runway and all the things you deal with when you're small, and lots and lots of conversations about, are we targeting the right industries? You know, we had been sort of PLG, but should we change to a direct model? And just lots of figuring it out versus just pouring fuel on it. I mean, at Success Factors, literally, 
we were just pouring fuel on it. We had product market fit. We were the first ones to do it. Um, and it was just get the word out, get the word out more market, 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 you know? So, um, I think, you know, my relationship with growth maybe has matured into, it doesn't always just come easy and pouring fuel on it is not always the right strategy. Sometimes you really have to figure out what are the factors of growth. And I mean, product market fit is everything. If you don't have it, it's someone at once asked me in a podcast, how do you know if you have product market fit? And I was like, if you're asking the question, you don't have it. Mm. <laughs> you know, Like, you know, when you have it. Um, so I think I have maybe an evolved and even at Freshworks, you know, we certainly have products that are flying off the shelf and we have products that are not growing quite so quickly and we're constantly looking at, you know, why is that? What do we need to do differently? Do we really have product market fit? Is this a, uh, is this a product, uh, problems, a strong word. Um, but you know, does the product need something differently? Does the go-to-market strategy need something different? It just could be so many different things that you got to figure out. Are, what are there some signs to consider to determine product market fit? I mean, I know there's lots of things, user engagement and retention. I mean, are there certain criteria that you're like, okay, I'm looking at these things from the outside looking in. Okay. You're checking some boxes. Like, are there some things that you key in on where you're like, okay, we've got it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, churn certainly is one that you should look at. Like if they're coming, trying, but then leaving, um, that's probably a product issue. Um, probably not always. Um, I think, you know, sort of that compounding pipeline growth, for lack of a better word, of that, um, you know, as you grow, you're striving for more and more efficiency. We're all striving for efficiency, especially today. But in the earlier days, you know, you're investing probably more in growth than eventually you want to be. At Freshworks now, at scale as a public company, our goal is like we want to keep the growth rates higher, but we want to we want the spend to either stay flat or only increase by a little bit. And if you don't have product market fit, that's really hard to do because you're just like, I spend a dollar to get a lead as an example, and I just got to keep doing that in order to bring people in. If you have product market fit, your growth is increasing at a higher rate than your spend. So I think that's probably mm. the biggest thing to look at. Okay. This is a question I'd be really curious about from your experience. And I know we've had some CMOs uh, talk a little bit about this, but I think it, it gets it to be talked about a bit more. And that is, how do you deal with the stress and high expectations that come with being a brilliant chief marketing officer in 2023? Well, I get embarrassed by your, by your adjectives, brilliant, but I appreciate the compliment. So thank you. Um, you know, again, it's like going back to being a goalie. I, um, my daughter plays soccer, by the way, she's 10 and, and awesome. no one on her team wants to play goalie at, at 10. Okay. Nobody like that is just, they cry when they have to play goalie. And it's part of it is because they don't like the pressure. They think that it's like, if they let in a goal, you know, that's their fault and they've lost the game for the team. And especially things like penalty kicks. I just always loved it. I always felt like when the stakes are higher, I have a, I can win bigger. Um, for me, I, I 
I, I like to thrive under pressure. Like we have this big launch coming up in just a couple of weeks. In fact, by the time this podcast airs, it will already be done. So you guys should all go and watch the replay and see how it goes. But right now we are like in crunch time and it's coming together and like we're doing daily standups on the content and, you know, um, I like it's energizing to me. So I think for me, you know, yes, of course, I there's a high stress, no question. But I I sort of thrive on on the pressure. Is there something that you do like, you know, some CMOs go for a bike ride, they put their music in, they meditate. Like, is there kind of a go to or like, OK, Stacy just needs to sit and think like, what does that look like? I pretty much exercise every day. OK. And, you know. I have a hike I do off my house. I have a run I do. Um, I occasionally will do something like Orange Theory or go to the gym. Like I mix it up a lot, but that is my time. I'm listening to music. I'm not responding to things. That is my, that is my like think time. And it's funny because it's like, it's not that thoughts come during that time, but that just checking out is helps the thoughts come later or at night. But yeah, I have to do that every day. I also spend a lot of time with my kids. You know, I go to their sport. My other daughter plays volleyball and we just had a weekend long tournament where that's like all day volleyball. And that's just, you know, it's like you're engaged in something, but your mind is also a little bit free to think about other things. Hmm. Kind of connected to that piece is, I mean, look, there's, there's so much coming at humanity. There's so much coming. I mean, innovation and tech and AI and chat GPT and on and on and on. And I would imagine that there has to be some level of like, okay, like there's a certain, like, because especially you, you have all of these opinions and perspectives and really smart people that want to share this and want to do this and collab here and there. How do you kind of level set, like what you take in, you know, just learning information, hearing what's coming next, that's not important. This is really important. You know, there's so much coming at you as a CMO. How do you just kind of posture it with that? Because you still have to execute and lead a big team and, and support this big, huge company. Yet you also want to be really relevant and, and keep your ear to the ground. It's at some level. How do you kind of protect your mind space? It's hard. I will say, um, I don't think I'm, I'm perfect at it. Um, in fact, I was just at a lunch with a few other, just a small handful of CMOs a week or so ago, probably some that have been on your show. And we were talking about like one of the challenges is being deep in the detail, but also like there's not enough time. Like if I, if I had enough time, I would be in the detail on everything. Um, But there's literally no possible way and I, I think it, it it's interesting. I had a, a senior leader on my team um, move on recently. And so I've been like very directly working with the team. And it's been awesome because I'm like one layer down in the detail. And I think it's been great for them and great for me. And, um, you know, part of me is like, I should just rotate around and just like, Right. You know, when you're talking to everybody on a very, and I mentioned we have a big event coming up. So it's a lot of like a lot of activity right now. Um, But I don't know. That's a good, that's a hard one. I think at scale, when you have big teams and bigger companies, it's, it's hard to really be involved in everything that's going around. I, I one time saw Barack Obama speak um, at a pretty small event. It, it, 
somebody asked him, I mean, talk about a big job, right? Um, And somebody asked him, like, how do you possibly stay involved in all the decisions that have to get made across every aspect of, you know, internally, you know, diplomatically across the world, like just imagine. And he said, you know, you, you can't. If I have built my team right, the decisions that are getting made are getting made correctly all the way up. And only the hardest, biggest, most challenging decisions are bubbling their way to me. And I sort of view it that way. You know, it takes a lot to, we we declared this the year of the leader on the marketing team at Freshworks because we really wanted to empower leaders, help them with you know, coaching and management. So that that was happening, right? At the very mm-hmm. lowest levels of the org, the managers are strong and the decisions are being made. And if and if I can trust that, then I don't need to be in all that detail. I can just be at the highest level. It doesn't always work that way. Um, but I think that would be my goal. Are there parts of, you know, the the either marketing function or marketing leader function that you just you don't have to get into, but you just love this part and you love to dive in and get into it. Is there anything, whether it's top of funnel, you know, anything like that, where you just, because of your experience, you love rolling your sleeves up and getting involved where you maybe you wouldn't have time or want to, but you just like that part. I think when you're a full stack CMO, you got to be able to do all of the functions. Um, you know, I mentioned like rotating. I think that would be an interesting, if you could do that to just be like this month, I'm going to be very focused on product marketing. You know, I do think some of it is talent specific. I, I in companies that I've worked in in the past, I've been super hands on and very deeply involved in like the comms and PR function at Freshworks. I have a really, really talented leader who I just fully trust. And now all of the CMOs are going to be calling her to try to steal her. Um, but, uh, you know, so you I, it's, I, this is like my first job as a CMO ever where I'm not like literally in the, okay, let's, let's brief the CEO for the CNBC inter- interview. Like normally I, that would be a high priority item for me. And I would be very specifically like, no, this is what we're going to say. And, be, and she also, I think thinks a lot like I do. So like I'm, I'm actually more hands off with comms and PR than I ever have been. I've always, I would consider that a strength, but like when you have someone that you really just trust doing it, um, you can be a little more hands off with it. Mm. On that note of trust, I think that the, like the modern day full stack CMO is, is in my opinion, I'm biased. And I think it's one of the most interesting roles in the, on the ELT. They have to be so nimble and they have to reach across the aisle and, and go with the CFO and then the COO. And so I just would love to hear how you do that. And, and you have to me, you have to do it with speed, like speed of trust, right? And this company's not moving slow. So it's not like you have a long time to, hey, let's go to happy hour. All the, like, how do you build trust with the ELT um, and with your team and do it in a way that's like sustainable and you're doing something right clearly, but it's like it, it to me, you have to get that part right to be successful as a CMO today. How do you do it? Yeah, I agree. I think it takes a lot of different um, skills. It takes that like collaboration and communication skill across the aisle. And y- you're right. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at product, you, you have a bunch of different products, but for the most part, the job is similar, right? It's 
It's building the roadmap and then motivating the team to build the roadmap, right? And But within marketing, you've got like product marketing is very different than demand gen, which is very different than um, growth and performance marketing, comms and PR. Um, you know, it, like they're like completely different job functions and they require a different st- skill set. Um, so... I agree. I mean, I think the best marketers are the best CMOs. You just have to be a multitasker. You have to have the ability to context switch all the time, like just all the time. Um, Sometimes it's strategic direction of the company. And then the next thing you know, you're in a conversation about how to drive SEO. You know, like, um, are you doing content? It's just I think that skill set of multitasking and context switching is probably the most important. That and just the communication collaboration skill set, I think, is really important. How has becoming a CMO changed the way you look at the world? I think I think of it the other way around. I think that because I tend to look at the world as a you know, again, back to the word empathy, I've just always been, and it's funny because I, I, one of my daughters is this way too. She's always coming to, to a, a, a situation with this like understanding of how everybody's feeling coming in. Uh, it's this intuitive empathy. My mom was the same way. So maybe it's genetic, genetic, mm. but I think I, I had that. It's like what helped me as a captain of the team in college, right. Of just like, is everybody let's motivate. Um, but it's also that understanding of the market and what the, what, what do the people want? Because that's the job of the marketer is understanding what the people want and then matching what you have to sell to their desires. And so I think that that has been my viewpoint and that's what I've brought to marketing. Um, Maybe more so than the other way around. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, let's spend a little bit of time talking about this really non-popular term called AI. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just off, off the jump, chat GPT, how is it supporting your role, like your role as CMO? Are you using chat GPT at all? If so, how? If, if not, why? What are your thoughts on it? Maybe talk about its application with your team and just kind of what you're seeing with it. But I would love to hear your personal connection with ChatGPT and if it's at all supporting you. Yeah, so um, I'll start though by saying it's funny that you characterize it as an unpopular word. It It's funny because I think in our circles and in the Valley, it's like, the hottest, most amazing thing. Of course. I I just did like a 20 city interview series with local TV and radio, like Abilene, Texas. And oh wow. And any every, anytime the word AI came up, it is like fear mm. to the point of terror. It's there is a probably much bigger segment of the population that is scared out of their minds about what what AI means. And even even just in the last couple of days, there's been a a, a plea for regulation. Even companies like a- OpenAI that make ChatGPT are asking the government to regulate AI because it's scary. Um, and I, as a marketer, um, you know, I have to keep those two viewpoints in mind, both in how we talk about our own AI capabilities 
as well as how we use AI as marketers on my team. We do not use ChatGPT on our team because specifically ChatGPT uh, as an open source product um, because we don't want to be putting our information into a public model. Okay. Um, we do leverage generative AI. Um, and, you know, and I'm sticking more with as a marketing user of AI versus at marketing our AI capabilities. You know, I, I think there are some amazing applications for generative AI for marketing teams. One as like a, a testing platform, you know, subject line tester, um, landing page, you know, subject lines or content tester. And certainly there are cases where generating content is, can be faster in generative AI. You know, generative AI is based on everything that the model already knows. And so in some ways it isn't all that creative right? It may seem creative because you, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it came up with that. But it came up with that because it's leveraging what it's been trained on. If you want to be truly different and you want to be truly creative and you want to truly have a fresh point of view, that comes from a human brain. Um, and so, you know, am I excited about generative AI and what it can do for marketers? No question, 100% huge believer. We are using it and we will use it going forward. But I do not think we will ever lose that, you know, human. There are just things that you need a human to do. And same is true for when we use AI in our offerings. You know, there's a lot of things that can be automated about a customer service experience. But there are also things that literally, you know how it is. You're like, no, I just want to talk to an agent like that. There are just things that are just better handled by a human. So, yes, I think this is a monumental point in time. I already mentioned I I was there when the Internet came on the scene and this is similar. Um, but I also think that uh, that fear of like AI is going to take over all of our jobs. I just don't think it's it, it can. I think you need humans for a lot of what we do. So Stacey, we, we've talked about AI a little bit, and I want to kind of go in, into DoubleClick AI Freshworks. Like, talk about the connection between Freshworks and AI. How is it being leveraged? What are you seeing coming down the pipeline? Give us the deets. Yeah. So um, we made a bunch of big announcements. Like I said, I'm saying we did because we haven't yet, but when this airs, we will have. And it, like, as we've been talking about, it's a really exciting time. I mean, we've been leveraging AI in our solution since 2018. It's it's not a new solution for us. And I think, you know, chatbots, especially in the customer service and employee self-service space have been really compelling um, and, and compelling use cases for our customers for years. So we're not new to AI. Generative AI does give a lot of additional capabilities for us. And we think about AI in like three different categories. The first, uh, which I kind of already mentioned, is self-serve. And if you think about customers and what do we want as customers from our vendors, we want the ability to just go do it ourselves, right? If I want to return something, I do not want to have to call someone and wait while they look up my order number. We're all very used to 
going in, putting in our order, order number with a little chat bot and having it pull up our order. Yes, I want to return it. Here's the reason why. Thank you very much. Here's your return label and your account will be credited. And we can do that without with a with an AI bot. Um, and we've been able to do that for some time. I think the self-serve capabilities in Freshworks will only continue to um, be enhanced. And a lot of companies want that. They want, you know, the more the more issues and cases that I can deflect and make them fast and easy for my customer, which is what they want. But also it's very efficient for me, right, to, to do that very quickly. So I think we'll see more that what can be automated by artificial intelligence, that capability will be increased. And self-serve is one big category of AI for us. The next big category of AI for us is co-pilot. And that is, as you mentioned, there are certain things that have to be done by a person in which case I want AI to help me do it, but I'm not going to turn over the whole thing to AI. So, and that can happen for multiple different personas in our, in our world agents, right? I'm a customer service agent. There are times that like, this is a new issue that's never been seen before. Generative AI is not going to be able to come up with an answer because it's literally never been seen before. Or I, I'm a vendor that wants to offer a white glove experience. I want that to be handled by an agent. But when I have the agent on the phone, I want them to know everything. And AI can help by serving up all the history, all the context, maybe personalize my conversation to help sell things that they might be likely to buy, right? So that's Copilot. And Copilot applies not only to customer service, but it applies to marketing. Um, you know, I want to build a, a campaign and I need to understand how to segment my audience and AI can help me with that um, and execute that campaign, you know, subject line generator, things like that. AI the co-pilot can also help developers with writing code. Um, so I want to spin up a new f- product even in Freshworks because I have some capabilities that are adjacent to what I do in Freshworks. I want to spin up a new app. I want to put it in the marketplace or I just want to use it internally. AI can help me write code. So that's the co-pilot, like helping workers do their job. And the final category, which I think is maybe the most game-changing monumental category for for our buyers and for the world is something we call insights. Um, and, and our AI tool is called Freddy. So we have Freddy self-serve. We have Freddy um, co-pilot. Freddy insights is really for leaders, a customer service leader that says, you know, I what should I do to drive more customer satisfaction? And generative AI can come back and say, I've, I've looked at all of your history, all of your customers, all, you know, like 40 different data points and come back and say, this is what you should do. This, you should develop this, you know, chatbot strategy that will deflect more L1s and bring more, like it will help you run a better organization. And then the other beautiful thing is that it will then help you build it. Um, and the same can be true for marketers, right? Like, okay, I'm a marketer. Which campaign should I run? Versus just like, hey, technology, you know, with, with marketing automation, you still have to tell the tool what to do. 
You have to tell it what you wanted to build and what customers you wanted to go to. AI can come to you and say, based on all of these data points, you should run this campaign at this point of time and you should release it at this time of day. And here's your list of customers that you should send it to. And we just haven't had capabilities like that. That insights portion that is more strategic and insightful for leaders to run their their business, I think is going to be really powerful for our buyers across customer service, sales, marketing, and IT. So it's really just some kind of game-changing, exciting stuff that that we're bringing to market and we're excited about. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna, I wanna go back and do, I'm gonna check all those out. I'm like writing down insights, Freddie, going back. Awesome. Um, I have like 150 more questions, Stacey. So, and we are, we're up on time. I'm like, okay, we gotta do this again. Let's, let's put a pin. Yeah. 2024, maybe before, maybe, maybe later this year. We'll see. But, um, this was incredible. I mean, thank you so much for your time. I have two last ones for you. Just what are you stoked about kind of this year personally? Like, what's next for you? This, what's next for you, Stacey? And then, like, what are you stoked about with Freshworks? My daughter graduated from fifth grade last week, and my other daughter is graduating from eighth grade next week. So we have two new schools and two new environments, and it's going to be a fun summer getting ready for that. So that's the big thing going on in my life. Um, Freshworks, I mean, it's just what we talked about. I'm really excited about what AI can do for for my team and also for our customers and excited to get it all into the market and and start playing with it and seeing how it evolves and and where it goes from here. Awesome. Well, we're going to stay connected for sure. Congrats to you and the whole team, the whole family at Freshworks. Thank you. The hockey stick continues to go up and to the right. We just appreciate you. Thanks for being on Marketing Trends. Thank you. Great to see you.